Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? My name is Grant. It's so good to have you here with us today. Today, we've got a great story for you, a great guest. You know, one of the things we like to do is so many times people listen to the show and they feel stuck. They feel trapped. They aren't really sure what they would rather be doing and I'm not really sure maybe what kind of work they'd like to be pursuing. So it's always just good to hear these types of stories of people who are, who are kind of bucking the system, who are trying to find something that is outside of the norm. And so today's story is from a buddy of mine and it's a great, great story. I think you're really going to be encouraged and inspired by. Today we're going to be talking with Heath Pageant. Heath is a guy who's like, listen, I don't want to go down the normal trail. I don't want to go down the normal path of just of getting another gig or getting some type of corporate job. I want to do something a little outside the norm. And so what he decided was, he decided to get an RV with his at the time fiance and for their honeymoon they were just going to get in the rv and just start traveling the country and making a living doing it like how do you is that even an option i didn't even know that was a thing so this is a great great story of how Heath and his now wife have traveled the country for the past several months making a living and sharing their story and journey so uh, excited to get into it so let's jump right in here is my interview with heath enjoy Greetings, my friends. Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by my friend Heath Paget, who got a great story of how he's just kind of living life on, he and his wife, I guess, are both living life on their own terms. So excited to get into his story and journey today. So Heath, what is up, man? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Grant. It's a blast. I'm, I'm excited to be here. All right, sweet. So give us a overview of, we met for the first time. How do you tell people what you do? Because I don't even know how to describe it right now. I think that question is the bane of my existence, actually, because I hate answering it. Right. But I think that any entrepreneurial writer person in this day and age just has trouble answering that question for quite a few years. I mean, you probably got to the point where you can easily answer and say, you know, I'm a, I'm a speaker or this is what I do. But I really haven't figured that out. I've kind of answered it as a joke. I say I'm a professional honeymooner. I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> I'm a blogger. You know, but and then I try to get into my story, and people their eyes kind of glaze over. But my story is: the last year, my wife and I bought an RV. We quit our day jobs. I was working in software as a salesman, and I was doing that for nine months after college. And it just wasn't something I wanted to pursue for any longer. I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and I was living in Austin, Texas, where a lot of people get into tech. And I jumped into that thinking, you know, this is going to be my initial job in sales and I'll kind of work my way through this and then I'll start my own company. And I just kind of looked around at what everyone was doing and even the founders and the entrepreneurs. And it wasn't the entrepreneurial dream that I had thought it was going to be with all the freedom and making a difference. It was a lot of sitting behind the computer and cold calling people. And I just thought there has to be more than this. And I was trying to you know, write and blog on the side and, and kind of trying to do this as a lot of people do when they're first getting started. And I just reached a point where I knew that I couldn't do this any longer if I didn't jump in full fledged. And I was about to get married and I'm still young. And so my wife and I took a big risk. And a couple months before our wedding, I quit my job and we bought a 29 foot RV off Craigslist that's 20 years old. His name's Franklin. <laughs> and uh, we came up with this idea to travel around the country and explore a bunch of the places we thought we may want to live. We thought maybe Nashville, Portland, Southern California, North Carolina, and Colorado were a few different places across the country we'd heard great things about. And we were going to go sightsee some of those places after the wedding, kind of take an extended honeymoon. And then my wife came at me one day with a huge challenge. That's why I married her. And she said, Heath, it's on your bucket list to go visit all 50 states. 
we're going to do this. If we're going to drive around the country, we're going to go visit all 50 states. And the question that we came up with after that was, if we're going to spend extended amount of time driving around the country, seven months is what we calculated it would take, that we're going to have to have some kind of mission. Maybe we can go serve at nonprofits. Maybe we can you know, meet with people we admire along the trip. And then after a, a coffee meetup with a mentor of mine who had a cool project of his own, I came up with an idea to work a different job in all 50 states. And I I just jumped into it head first. I found us a sponsor for the trip and we just kind of went and did it. So now I'm eight months down the road. I've worked 49 hourly wage jobs in, out of the 50 states. And I'm, you know, filmed a documentary and I had never before touched a camera and just kind of been a crazy whirlwind of an adventure. Crap, man, you get it's a lot of stuff you covered there. It's a very <laughs> adventurous life. So, all right, let's backtrack a little bit. So, did you grow up in Austin? No, I grew up in a town of about 8,000, Mont Bellevue, Texas. It's East Texas. I'm a typical middle class family. I, I have two brothers. I'm the middle child. I'm the only one in my family with bright red hair. I got a lot of FedEx jokes as a kid. <laughs> and so, just kind of how, learning to deal with that. I played a lot of sports growing up, but I moved to Austin. To play baseball in college and just kind of land in there. It's an amazing city. It reminds me a lot of Nashville where you're about to move to. So I know, and I'm going to peer pressure you into getting there. So, all right. So whenever you went to college, so it sounds like you went primarily to play baseball. Was there any type of career aspirations at that point or were you wanting to make it in the bigs or is that even a possibility? Man, that is the dream growing up. Any kid who ever touches a baseball and says sure. he doesn't want to play in the bigs is lying because that's the dream. You know, I, yeah. that was always my dream. And it was something that I thought would be a realistic aspiration. I had a really good senior year in high school. I had some pro scouts come out and look at me. And then I went out to college. And that the week that I was kind of transitioning from high school to college, it was the end of the summer. And all of a sudden, my uncle passed away. And he was my dad's brother. And we were really close. And it was kind of just this all of a sudden heart attack type thing. And it was a point where most kids are so excited to be leaving home for the first time. I'm getting out of my small town. I'm not one of the ones staying behind to work at the plants. And yeah. and all of a sudden, I feel like I'm deserting my dad and leaving him during this really hard time in his life. And it was, it was the hardest six months of my life. But what it did was I was a kid who went out and I kind of partied a little bit in high school. I was seen as like the all-American baseball player kind of guy. But I wasn't living a really healthy lifestyle. And whenever I got to college, it caused me to reevaluate a lot of my life decisions. I went to something we had at our school called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And the guy handed me a book called Do Hard Things by these two 19-year-old twins, which is all about breaking out of the status quo for young people. And I read it. And then I I got into uh, reading the Bible for the first time really ever and kind of changed my life. And I started reading books and hearing about these guys called entrepreneurs. And I couldn't spell the word for a really long time. None of us can. (laughs) It's the worst. Um, Could have came up with an easier name if we were that smart. And anyway, the short version of that story is that I got really into entrepreneurship as I was playing baseball. I was, instead of going out with the guys, I would sit inside my room and read books. And I caught a lot of flack from my baseball players and even my coaches telling me, Patrick, you need to get ready for the game, put down Steve Jobs autobiography. And, (laughs) but that was a point in my life where I, it was for the very first time I started considering something other than baseball. And that was to start my own company, be this entrepreneur guy who can make a difference in the world somehow. I mean, there's a lot of people who are probably in that similar spot of going, I don't know what I'd rather be doing. I just want to start my own deal. I want to have my own company. I want to have my own business. Did you have any idea what that would you know, practically look like? Or was it more just kind of like, I just know I want to do my own thing? 
Yeah. So the first thing that I did was after about six months of reading all these books, I said, you know, I can just sit around and read all these or I can actually go do something. And so what I did was I came up, I grabbed one of my buddies and we started going to Starbucks and meeting up and we had like a code name for our meetups because we thought it was uh, the other guys would like make fun of us if they knew that we were thinking about starting our own business because we're 19 year old baseball players. It's so lame looking back on that. But and well, hang on, hang on, hang on. You got to give us the code name. Uh, we said we would say we're going to eat brownies, which doesn't make any sense. Like, we, it's not like a pot thing. I didn't like smoke. Or That's what I, it I, sounds I, like. Yeah, it's, it is what it sounds like. I don't even know. Like, I, it was crazy. But so we came up with a few different ideas for batting prototypes. So like we sketched them out and we actually made them. And then we found this place in Austin, which was about an hour from the junior college where we were going to school at. And it was called Invent Tech. And they help you bring your ideas to life. They kind of help you get prototypes and things like that. And so we took them out there and we were so excited and we got into this meeting and we were gung ho and we're like, we're starting this company. And then this lady says, you know, blah, 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 all this information about, you know, your prototypes are good and, you know, $10,000. And we're just like, whoa, Whoa. we don't, we don't have that kind of money. And so it kind of killed my dreams for a little while. And then I kept with it. And a couple of years later, my junior year in college, I ended up starting my own clothing line. Um, I went through a couple iterations of different things and I started an e-commerce site and that was kind of my first business. And I still remember after I launched my website, I went on a plane to go to a baseball game and I got off the plane and I had a couple orders come in. And I remember leaning over to my buddy in kind of a braggart kind of way. And I just said, Hey man, I just made 30 bucks on that plane ride. What'd you do? You know, like <laughs> I thought it was the coolest feeling in the world that you could make money when you actually weren't working. And so I was, I've been hooked ever since. Gotcha. So you're kind of wrapping up college and where was the baseball thing at this point? It sounds like, you know, at that point, you know, whether you got a shot or not. So what was going on there? Yeah, it wasn't really happening for me. I mean, it wasn't where I thought I was going to be. I didn't have any interest. I mean, I didn't have any secured interest in scouts or anything like that. And my college career wasn't booming as far as baseball goes. So after my junior year, I actually decided to call it quits in my senior year. I didn't play, which ended up being a really awesome decision because I got to actually enjoy my last year of college, which was a cool thing. Cool. So at that point, you're, the plan is to, I want to have my own business someday, but at this point, I need to eat and live indoors. So you just got a gig with a, a software company? Yeah. So I got a gig with a, a startup software company and I was, I was super excited about it because in college I was working for a moving company, which was like 16 hour days, sometimes on the weekends on a moving truck grueling in the Austin, Texas heat. And so Sounds being able to, yeah, being able to go work in an office after that was just like the lush life. And it was awesome at first. <laughs> at first, how long did that first last? For about nine months. I worked there for nine months and it was good and all that stuff. But as I mentioned, I just I hated going into, it was one small example, so I would hate going into the coffee room every day, and there was that same kind of conversation. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. And I just remember, there's got to be more than this. I, I mean, I was reading all these books from these guys, like, you know, John Acuff, you know, about quitting, and then, you know, Jeff Goins, and all these other people who were living this kind of entrepreneurial life, and, and writing, and, you know, blogging, and doing all this kind of thing. And I just remember thinking to myself, I was trying to, you know, keep, write on my blog, and tell people they should pursue these big dreams and aspirations. But I thought to myself, I can never actually write this with a full heart if I don't start pursuing this on my own. So you are wrapping up time at the software company. And what you just described is the thing that I think a lot of people that listen to the show, that's why they listen to the show is because they feel like 
is this it? Like, is this what my career is supposed to be? Like, I'm just, how are you? How was your weekend? And what did you do? Nothing. And like, that's what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life. There's got to be something more. So it's one thing to feel that it's something totally different to actually, you know, take some action and do something dramatic. So what are you thinking is your next step? Are you thinking you just, you quit that and then you just find a new job or you start a business or what do you feel like is your next possible move? Well, first of all, there's so much pressure to sit in that position because, you know, I love my parents to death, but they both are, you know, they never finished college. My mom is a PE teacher and my dad worked shift work for 25 years. And, and so there was a lot of pressure to just finish school and get that first paying job. And anytime I ever talked about my entrepreneurial dreams, I kind of was grounded by my mother, who I love to death and, and she loves me and she means the best, but she wanted me to get that secure job. And so any ideas of pursuing something outside of that, I feel like not only from parents, but just from society, we feel a lot of pressure to, to just stay there because, you know, you're young. Don't try to dream too big yet because, you know, you need that secure job. A lot of people say, you know, like, go do what you want. But when you actually try to step out of the norm, you face a whole lot of resistance. I remember I told my boss, I was, I gave him a three months heads up before I was going to leave. I, you know, I had a really good relationship and I wanted to make sure that, you know, they didn't think I was deserting them or anything like that. And so I gave about a three months heads up. And I remember in the first meeting when I announced it to my team of like 25, the CTO chimed in really sarcastically and said, you must be marrying a really rich wife because you're about to take off on this cross country road trip and kind of like made fun of me in front of the team. So, Hmm. yeah. So part of you, I assume is just like, I just want to stick it to them and just prove them wrong. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I think if you really want to put yourself out there and go do something different, you're just going to have to know that you're going to face that kind of resistance and that it, that it is real and that it is going to happen. So how do you, like practically, how do you deal with that? Because I think that, again, that the situation you describe is common for a lot of people of you're thinking, okay, I know I don't want to do this job and maybe you've got some type of crazy idea that you're just like, this is crazy enough, it just might work, but... My parents are questioning me. My friends are questioning me. Uh, my company is questioning me. My coworkers, society is questioning me. I can't find anybody that's like going to give me their stamp of approval on this. Yet internally, I feel like this is my next step. So how do you deal with that many people saying, just not believing in your idea? Step one is you marry an awesome woman who's supportive, <laughs> who's supportive of that crazy dream that you have and believes in it. Because while we were kind of scheming this out before we wanted to present it to our parents because, you know, there's going to be so much pushback and things there that – and I'm about to marry this, you know, their daughter. And so before I present some haphazard plan to my future father-in-law, I want to make sure that there's a solid plan there and I actually have an idea of, of what I'm going to be doing. And so anyway, we schemed together and came up with a plan. I'm sorry. I forgot what the question was. <laughs> well, basically like how, you know, the, everybody's pushing back and everybody's raining on your parade and everybody thinks this is a bad idea. Like, how do you just feel comfortable and confident in that? I think I'm making the right decision and I think this is going to work out. And like, how do you push past some of that resistance? Yeah. I've always tried to err on the side of, I can live with messing up and failing at something, but I can never live with myself if I don't give myself a shot. And so whenever I face whenever I face a crossroads in my life and I'm thinking, what could I or should I do for here? I'm afraid of putting my work out there. It's like every day when I write a blog, am I okay with putting this out there knowing that it may not get as many hits as yesterday? And then I always kind of remind myself that if you have a choice between putting something out there or doing something or quitting to pursue something you love – can you live with yourself if you quit, if you don't reach your goals? Probably. But will you be able to live with yourself if you never actually try? 
And I mean, that's a harder question and one I'd, I'd rather not try to answer in my later life. Yeah, it's such a great question, though. I think, you know, I always said there's two types of regret. There's the things that we do that we wish we hadn't done, and we all have our fair share of those horror stories. But then there's the things that you didn't do that you wish you had tried. And so it sounds like for you, this idea of selling it all, of getting an RV, of traveling the country and uh, living kind of this adventurous life was one of those things like, it's kind of now or never. Is that kind of how you felt? Yeah. I mean, it, it really was now or never. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, we faced three different kinds of reactions from people whenever we told them we were going to pursue this. The first was from people that were our age, you know, early 20s, who thought it was really awesome because whether you know it or not, almost every American has at one point had a dream to go travel the country in a Volkswagen van or an RV. I mean, like <laughs> Heck yeah. I mean, before the show, we were talking about how cool, you know, some of your RV trips have been. And I think that that is something that at one point everybody has probably thought of. And so all of our friends thought it was wicked cool that we were taking off on an RV road trip. And then there was much older people, you know, retirees and people who had either traveled a lot in their earlier age or wished they would have traveled more. And they thought it was really cool too. I mean, they were they were pumped that we were taking this kind of leap of faith in the beginning of our lives. And there were people who were about our parents' age who hated it and thought we were crazy and irresponsible because we should go to work for another 20 to 30 years before we try to do something like this. So we faced you know, some different reactions across the board. But one of my wiser friends always said, there's never a good time to travel. You're either too young and you don't have the means and the – hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this right <laughs> real quick because it's a really good quote. So there's never a good time to travel. When you're young, you have the energy and the time, but not the means. When you're middle-aged, you have the means and the energy, but not the time because you got kids. And when you're older, it's not a good time to travel because you have the time and the means, but not the energy. So no matter when you travel in your life, there's always going to be some type of risk. You know, if you're middle-aged, you're going to have kids. If you're young, you're not going to have the money. It's, it's a risk there. And if you're older, it's going to be hard for your health. So there's never a good time to do something like this. I mean, people say young, but I mean, I think that's just an excuse because there's always going to be pushback. Well, and that's not exclusive to just travel. I mean, that's anything. You know, when's the right. best time to start a family? When's the best time to start a business? When's the best time to quit your job? When's the best time to get married? There's never a perfect time for any of those situations. But at some point, you got to count the cost and pull the ripcord and give it a shot. Because again, like we were talking about earlier, I would rather have it be an epic failure and know at least I tried than to get to the end of my life and look back and wonder what if. That's, yeah. a, that's a horrible place to be. So this whole concept of the RV, of sell everything, of get the RV and travel the country, was this your original idea? To get the RV? Well, I think we didn't consider the RV an option at first because we didn't know anything about RVs. So, I mean, what normal 23-year-old would have a really deep knowledge of RVs? Sure. Yeah, not many. So our first option was thinking about my buddies who had traveled the country in their car. My wife has a Honda CRV, and we thought, well, maybe we can just take out the back seat and throw a bed in there, and or like tent camp, or oh my gosh, thank God we didn't do that. <laughs> but you know, just like come up with our different options, and then. My grandpa had a pop-up camper, and so I thought, well, that's great. You know, we have your car, get great gas mileage. We'll take a pop-up camper. We'll have, like, an ice chest, and this will be great. We'll do this for seven months at the first start of our marriage. You know, obviously, hindsight's twenty <laughs> twenty there, too. But And then we started exploring different options, and it took us about two months to kind of figure out what we wanted to do. And we swayed back and forth. And then the first thought of, of any kind of RV was truck campers, those campers that go on the bed of the trucks. They have, like, a bathroom. Some of them have bathrooms and TVs and beds and refrigerators and kitchens and all that good stuff. And so I was like, wow, those are really cool. And I would get a truck out of the deal, and I don't have a truck right now. So 
that I thought that was a really cool option. And then we we spent a little while looking on Craigslist, and then we found one that fell through, and it, it got to the point where we were a month away from our trip, and we had no idea what we were going to be taking. And then we found a sweet deal on Craigslist for an RV, and found that they were reasonably priced, and then just went out and bought one when test drove it the same day, and, and got it for pretty cheap. So, all right. So whenever you first come up with this idea, is your at the so at the time she's just your fiance, or are you guys married? She was my fiance at the time. We were engaged to be married. We got engaged around December and we got married last May. So whenever you pitch this idea to her and you guys start kicking it around, does she think you're crazy at all or is just kind of like, okay, <laughs> I guess this is what I'm signing up for? Or what, what was her reaction? So I have a track record. <laughs> I have a track record of throwing things up in the air and taking spontaneous trips. So she kind of knew what she was getting into before we got married. But whenever I called her and said, hey, I just had a coffee meeting with this like a mentor type person he was a guy who had um his name's Jing, and he had did this 100 days of rejection online and i thought he had a really cool story and i met up with him and said hey i'm trying to take this unconventional honeymoon i'm still trying to figure out kind of what i want to do with my life and he gave me an idea to go work a different job in every state and i said i think that's a good idea i think i'm gonna go do that and then I, I was all excited and pumped up like whenever I have an idea and I called my wife and I said, hey, I have this awesome idea. We're going to go out. I'm going to work a different job in all 50 states along our honeymoon. And her first reaction was a little bit of silence. Mm-hmm. And then she goes, you want to work throughout our whole honeymoon? And I was <laughs> just like, uh, yeah. And, and it took a little bit of convincing, but she eventually came around. And she was actually the sole videographer for our entire trip. And before this, I mean, we had no experience in film, but we filmed a documentary on this trip. And I mean, she was just an amazing integral part of that. Well, one of the pieces I like about the entire story is that it's not like this haphazard idea of like, all right, let's just sell everything and let's get an RV and let's just wing it and let's see what happened. I mean, you guys, it sounds like you'd really kind of calculated it and you'd figured it out and we're going to do this for seven months and here's what it's going to cost us and here's how we're going to make this work. So there was some planning that went into it. Yeah, it was short-term planning, but that was all my wife. She's a very type A. She's a great planner. And so we came up with this idea, and really everything came together very last minute. What happened was we didn't have a big piggy bank to go on this trip. And so we didn't have like a big savings. We had enough to go out and buy an RV, but other than that, we did not have the money to go out. And so as soon as I came up with this idea to to work all these different jobs, I did some online job searching and Alyssa was planning our route. She's like, all right, we're going to spend the first part of the trip out on the West Coast and then we're going to be on the East Coast by fall. And I was like, great, I would have never thought of that. We're going to have awesome weather. And so I started looking for jobs and you know, I'm going to have to start finding different jobs in every state and this is going to be crazy. So I might as well start doing some research. And I came across an online job board called Snag a Job. And I sent them a cold email to their VP of marketing. And I said, hey, I have this crazy idea to go work a different job in every state. Would you guys help line those jobs up for me? Just asked them. Mm-hmm. They shot me back an email 15 minutes later and said they loved this idea. We'd love to be a part of this. I ended up flying up there a couple weeks later. And they offered us a sponsorship. And they helped contribute about a third of our total expenses to our trip. And so once we had secured a little bit of funding, that was really a big push for us to get into this. Because I think a lot of people have ideas for things they want to do, but have trouble actually executing and carrying them out. So by us announcing this to all of our friends and securing a sponsorship and making an investment to the RV by putting some skin in the game, we really had to actually go do this. I mean, there was a point like a month before the wedding where we, where we looked at each other and said, we're actually going to do this. Jeez. So. so was it like in terms of timeline, it was literally like, we got married and then what, a couple days later, you pack up and you go? Four days. Wow. 
That's crazy. Uh, I mean, that's a lot. That's a, you know, planning a wedding is one thing, but then to throw in a we're going to take seven months on the road and just do this new adventure. I mean, that takes it to a whole new level. Yeah, it's not advisable for everyone. <laughs> so you cold email this company. Were there other companies that you emailed, or is this just one of many, or, or how did that work? They were the only one, and that never happens for a sponsorship. So I just want to put that out there. That is not okay. the norm. I mean, you can't expect to email one company. It was just. It was kind of a lucky thing. I had I had met their human resources manager at a conference while I was working for as a salesman. And so they were at least able to talk to this HR person and said, Hey, is this guy crazy? Like is is he normal? You know, and, and she was like, No, he's 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 a nice guy. He's he's a normal dude. And so they're like, Okay, let's let's kind of give this a shot. So like whenever you send the initial email, did you have some type of like follow-up proposal of, hey, we're going to do this, this, and this, and we need you to do this, this, and this? Or how, how did that come together? Because I'm thinking for someone who may be listening to this going, okay, I've got some type of idea and I've heard about sponsorships and I think that could be a good fit for me, but I don't even know where to begin. So give us some more on like how that came together. Yeah, I had no experience with sponsorships before this. And so it was really just a kind of a lucky thing that happened. I immediately got on a call with them. And I had read a little bit of a book called Working by Studs Torkel, which is all about common like stories of the everyday working man. And I started reading this after we decided to go on this trip. And so they were asking me these questions about, you know, what I think in this trip might look like. And, you know, would anybody care about what I was doing? And I, I threw out some quotes from that book that I just started reading. And I think they like that. And then we ended up flying out there, but I didn't have any really concrete plans. I kind of just approached it with an open mind. And I think the main thing, the reason why it worked out really well, and I have a great relationship with this company still, and, you know, they helped fund our, not only part of our trip, but our, you know, our trip to Alaska and Hawaii as well. And the reason why it was such a good partnership is because my mission aligns so well with theirs. And I was, this was something I was already doing. So when I had flown up there, I had actually already made the leap and quit my job before even securing the sponsorship. And so they knew that I was all in. I had been writing articles on my own and publishing blogs on my own for quite a while. And so they could look at my writing and tell that I was good enough to be able to write follow-up blogs and things like this for our trip and that I had a good resource within their company. So a lot of the things really aligned for this to work out. Well, I think that's an important point there that it wasn't just, I have done nothing and I'm hoping just to get a handout. It's like, no, no. I mean, you've quit the job and you've got a lot of things that you are doing to show that, no, no, I'm serious. Like I'm not messing around. So if you guys are in great, but if you're not in, I'm going to find someone else. So it just shows the, I guess the seriousness of where you are at. Yeah. I think at one point I threw a line that was something along the lines of, this is something I'm going to, in a respectful tone, I said, this is something I'm going to do with or without you guys, but I would love for you to be involved. And honestly, I couldn't have done it without him. So I'm so glad that they did it. But, (laughs) but, but I threw that out there just, you know, because I think that kind of takes that confidence sometimes. All right. Tell us about the RV. Where did the name Franklin come from? I don't know if this was before or after your time, but the book, Franklin, the turtle. How old do you think I am? I think I thought you're like 10 years older than me, maybe. Uh, how old am I? I'm 30, <laughs> 33. I had to think about it for a second. I'm 24. So. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Frankly, uh, before ahead of my, ahead of my time, I was like, I'm not that much older. All right. I, I had no idea when the book was printed. Franklin so the it, turtle. Okay. Yeah, all right. Franklin the turtle. He's slow, but he gets there because we were driving along Pacific coast highway and we were getting passed like crazy by everyone. So we started throwing some names out there and I was like, Franklin, I mean, that's a cool name and it kind of just stuck. It's there. Now, I have heard, actually, when we were talking a little bit offline, my in-laws have an RV that they took a part of the Pacific Coast Highway, and they have banned us from ever trying that. 
<laughs> well, you said they had a nice fancy rig. Ours is 20 years old, so theirs is probably like 40 foot long, I'm assuming. Yeah, it was 39. Okay, yeah. So ours is 29 feet, and it was terrifying. And we didn't tow a car the whole trip. And so anytime we ever had to go to the grocery store or anything, it was kind of an adventure. Yeah. Because we had to take the RV. I mean, I drove that RV in downtown Manhattan. Oh. And it was uh, it was brutal. I filmed it. And so I'll probably never show that footage to anyone because I just probably saying things I shouldn't. But anyway yeah it's a very stressful experience yes yeah, so, and again well, i think one of the things that i like about your story is before you guys had left you've done some planning you've got a couple of the pieces in place but it wasn't like you had the whole thing figured out you know were you planning on doing the documentary at the time or that we, kind of evolve it, it kind of evolved so that was something i've always wanted to do when i was in college my best friend who was also my roommate filmed a documentary about these uh, Bastrop forest fires, which was a fire that broke out while we were living in Austin. It was the greatest natural disaster fire in the history of America. Over 1,600 homes burned down. He went down there for seven months and just filmed this documentary for these people and then aired it a year later. And I went down there with him a couple times and just saw these people's reactions whenever they saw their stories being told. And I mean, it, it really touched me. And I had always wanted to do some kind of documentary. And it was just one of those things I threw up on my bucket list, not thinking I'll ever do it. But once again, my wife, she kind of nudged me along. And whenever we had secured the sponsorship, they threw out the idea of, hey, Heath, we have some film equipment. Would you be open to maybe make some kind of documentary along this trip? And I told Alyssa and she goes, Heath, this is on your bucket list. We have somebody offering to send us some really good film equipment. You know, let's do this. Let's make this work. And so that was kind of the first initial thought. We're going to be filming a documentary. and Neither of us have really experience in doing this. So. Interesting. All right, cool. Hey, I've got a couple other questions about the travel itself. I'm sure you've got some crazy stories. I'm interested in some of your favorite places that you've been to, how you guys made the round. So we're going to save that for the bonus round. So I'm going to encourage people to stick around for that. But Heath, if people want to find out more about you and your guys' story, what you guys have been up to, if we need to see a picture of Franklin, where can we go? <laughs> if you check out my website, it's heathpaget.com. Heath, like the candy bar, Paget, P-A-D-G-E-T-T.com. And my wife is alyssapaget.com as well. So we have tons of pictures of Franklin and our stories of our travels on there. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure we link up to that in the show notes. I'd encourage people to stop by, check that out. Again, I'd encourage you to also stick around for the bonus material where we're going to be talking a little bit more about some of the crazy adventures you've had, life on the road. So Heath, we'll come back at you in just a second, but appreciate the time, buddy. Thank you. All right. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Heath Pageant. Really good stuff there. I'd encourage you to stop by, check out the show notes at grantbolden.com. I'd also encourage you, if you're interested in hearing uh, more about Heath and his story, what he's up to, you can download the bonus material by going to grantbolden.com. You can also download that directly to your mobile device right there within the show notes on your phone there. So really good stuff. Hope you enjoyed that. You dug that. Hey, we also, we would love for you to leave us a rating or review within iTunes or Stitcher that really helps other people to find out about the show. We'd love to hear from you. Let, let us know what you're thinking of the show. Make sure also, if you haven't, be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss out on an episode. So as always, feel free to email me, grantograndbalden.com. Let me know what you're working on or what you're wrestling with and let me know if there's anything I can do to support you uh, on your journey to find and do work you love. So that wraps up this episode. We'll be coming at you again in another couple days with another delightful knowledge-baked knowledge-baked biscuit? No, 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 that can't be right. Fresh-baked knowledge biscuit. Let's put it in that order. That makes a little more sense. We'll be coming at you again in a couple days. Until then, you're awesome, my friend. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.